Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are four weeks deep into the Arizona Fall League, so we will have plenty of AFL to talk about, including this week's hitter and pitcher of the week in the league, both of whom are Cubs prospects, and Jim had a chance to catch up with both of them, so we'll talk to both Nelson Velasquez and Caleb Killian, and we will extend our look from uh, the fall league into other off-season leagues. The winter leagues underway now. We'll uh, look at some of the top-ranked prospects who are participating in the Dominican and Venezuela, uh, Mexico, and we're going to go a little heavy on the mailbag today. We're going to rely on you, the listeners, to provide yourselves with some content here. Um, Jim, Jonathan, welcome. Jim from Arizona. Jonathan from Pittsburgh. Back home for a couple days. Woohoo! And Jim, you have now been uh, your uh, midway through approximately your uh, stint in Arizona. You had a uh, wonderful 15 to 15 uh, Arizona Fall League uh, battle yesterday, which was uh, an interesting one, to say the least. Yeah, it, it was a battle between uh, Mesa and Peoria. I think it, I think it has to probably be the longest fall league game I've ever been to, since you cannot play longer than eleven innings because of the Frank Robinson rule. Um, but yeah, we had a fifteen fifteen tie that ended after ten because the Mesa Solar Sox literally ran out of pitching, um, which is what happens when you issue seventeen walks and throw. I think I lost track at the end, but it was something like 224 pitches. I think they had almost 100 balls. Um, but, yeah, it was 30 runs, 28 hits, 23 walks, 8 steals, and 8 errors, including the rare bases-clearing double error. Um, bases were loaded, and Marlins catcher Will Banfield tried to pick a runner off third and threw it into left field. And one run scored, and the second run came in, and left fielder Marlins uh, – prospect Cameron Meisner made a good throw to the plate, but it hit the runner in the back. And so all three runs scored. Um, and then I think the next three guys walked. So that was kind of the game in a nutshell, but uh, 15 to 15, nearly four hour contest. So I am, I'm, I'm rooting for a little bit uh, tighter played game today in, in Peoria when I head out there. That was a crazy box score. I know you pointed out the fact that the top three hitters in the lineup I think when you pointed it out, it did not have a hit, and you were toward the end of the game. Nick Gonzalez ended up getting a hit, but the top three hitters in Peoria's lineup uh, combined to go one for 13, but scored seven runs, which I I <laughs> said in response to you, I can't imagine that that has happened many times, if ever, in, the big <laughs> le- in Major League history. Uh, but also looking at that box score, every hitter in the lineup uh, – walked at least once and seven out of the nine walked two or more times that that had to be a fun one to uh to sit through it just would never end and and, and at the point i slacked at you i think they were combined oh for eight with seven runs so they they slowed down but yeah mesa scored nine in the bottom of the first and each of the top two hitters in mesa's lineup had two hits in that inning and so I figured, okay, you know, we're going to have a blowout. Mesa's going to win this. And then it just it got out of hand and went back and forth. And Greg Cullen, an Orioles second baseman, hit a two-run homer in the ninth to tie it. And, and like I said, after the ninth was over, there was some confusion because Mesa had run through a bunch of their pitchers, and they went out and conferred and decided they could play one more inning, but they did not have enough pitching for the 11th inning. So Because as, as listeners may or may not know, each team – each fall league team gets players from five organizations and each organization sends four pitchers. So that you, you literally have 20 pitchers on each roster, but everything's kind of scripted. So on a given day, it's not like you have 18 pitchers hanging out in, in Mesa's bullpen and they're just going to endless supply. You have, you know, I think four, probably four relievers designated and maybe a fifth guy, you know, break glass in case of emergency, but you, it's not just, Hey, Somebody else go down there and start throwing because everything's scripted out. So we we literally ran out of pitching. Did you mention the seven stolen bases in the game, Jim? I don't know if that was part of there it. There were eight steals. There were seven yep. by one. Well, three. seven. Yeah, seven yes. for PR. Yeah, it was it, it was crazy because poor Jonah Bride of the Athletics, who's new to catching, 
was not able to throw. I think they stole six bases off him. And they were, I mean, you know, Jiwan Bay of the Pirates in particular was just running wild on him. And so they actually subbed him out. I, I don't know if it was, I, I don't think he was hurt. And I think it was a rare substitution just because he was struggling defensively. Um, and then Bay, I think, you know, got another steal off of Will Banfield. But like it was, that box score was was crazy. Um, it's I, I advise everybody to go look at that box score. Everybody did a little bit of something in that box score. I'm looking for the two point conversions. Yeah, well, that's if we'd been playing college football, that would have been the overtime. Instead of runner on second base, we would have gone to two point conversions <laughs> in the tenth inning. But uh, but we did not. Jim, you said poor poor bride. I say poor Banfield because in the box score, all those steals are uh, credited as being against Banfield, which caught me all by surprise. That, that's what it says. That must well, be that's a mistake. total mistake. Yes. Yes. Bride played the first six or seven innings of the game. So that's not <laughs> I, – I don't know what happened there, but that's not correct. So one other thing uh, of note in that box score is that J.J. Bleday went five for six with four RBIs, uh, his third home run, a double – um, was that nine total bases? And uh, for a guy who struggled mightily during the regular season, uh, picked up a little bit toward the end, but he has been uh, fantastic so far in the fall league. He 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 has. I mean, I, I talked to him after the game, and I mean, he said it's kind of two things. I mean, he he, he started after a terrible season, double A. He he played better the last two weeks of the season. I mean, very small sample size, obviously. Um, but he, you know, kind of did some things with his hand and his load and slowed himself down a little bit. And then kind of mentally, you know, he, he admitted the season snowball on him and he, and he, and he kind of calmed himself down and, you know, it, it's, it's worked well for him out here. Now, you know, that said, you know, we always talk about how you have to take Arizona fall league stats with a grain of salt because most of the, the ball flies at a lot of the parks and, and the hitters are usually better quality than the pitchers, but, I've seen him play a couple times, and he has smoked the ball when I've seen him. So I, I think he's very encouraged by it. I think the Marlins are very encouraged by it. Um, all, uh, you know, it's a very positive development. Although, we'll see when you get down here, Jonathan. I mean, this league seems like it's as offensive as it's ever been this year. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are a couple things, you know, with Blade, and you know, we use that small sample size caveat all the time, but – you know, he, he needed some, some confidence, I think. And the, the one thing that he can control is his approach, uh, you know, and he's walked more than he struck out. I mean, that's kind of what made him so, you know, I thought intriguing coming out of Vanderbilt is, you know, he had, he could hit, he had power potential, he had an advanced approach. And then during the regular season, it's, it, you know, you said, he said that it just snowballed on him when he started to, to struggle and he went straight, you know, he went straight to double A to start the year. Um, and so regardless of who the pitching is, I, I, I always find it interesting to see if guys, especially a guy who has the talent level that Blade has, can use this as that sort of springboard and start doing what was you know people expected him to do. I mean, this is a guy who was the number four overall pick in the 2019 draft. Uh, so there was a certain level of expectations that he did not meet. Um, and, you know, what he's doing in the fall league – sure doesn't you know mean anything if he doesn't start to produce next year and, and beyond. But this is a guy who could very quickly, this could help sort of flip a switch and he could be in the big leagues next year at, at some point because of what he did during his time in, in the fall league. And, you know, I guess with the, the outburst yesterday, he's now leading the league and runs batted in and he's fourth in OPS. And I mean, that's the kind of hitter I think the Marlins thought they were getting when they drafted him. Where do you send him next year, Jonathan? Because, you know, they've handled him very aggressively. They, they sent him straight to high A for his debut. And he, you know, had okay numbers. They weren't great. Then they sent him to double A this year. And, you know, he drew some walks and had some extra base hits, but he also hit 212. Do you send him back to double A just so he can tear it up for a month or two? Or do you, you challenge and send him to triple A next year? I, I, my, I think my gut says, at least, you know, when he gets to spring training, he starts out sort of back at the double a level, but I think you let him play his way up to triple a, like if he is just scorching the ball in spring training, then I think maybe send him to triple a. Um, and, and you know, some of that is also knowing who he is like, 
can he handle a challenge? And if he faces more adversity, is that going to hurt him or does he need, you know, continued, you know, you know confidence building of, of staying in double A? Uh, so, you know, I, I would let his performance in the spring dictate where he goes. That's been good to see uh, one of the elite prospects there, one of the top 100 prospects performing. Uh, some of them have been, but we've talked about the fact that a lot of the really big names there are gone now, and, and some we didn't even really see. So Spencer Torkelson was the highest ranked prospect to go to the fall league. He got off to a fast start, then he got injured. Um, the second highest ranked prospect there, Marco Luciano, has not performed particularly well. Uh, the third highest ranked prospect, number six overall, C.J. Abrams. He was sent to the fall league. Um, didn't play initially. I think, I think we heard he was going to be on the taxi squad, but we still haven't seen him. Is he still there as far as you guys we, know? We, from what I've heard, yes. I believe, I'm going back out to Peoria today. But, yeah, I think he got – he was in instructional league. I think he re-injured himself, um, and they've been taking it slow. But, like, nobody seems to have any idea whether that means we might see him in the second half of the Arizona Fall League season or he's just going to work out at Peoria and we'll never see him. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you on that one. And that was a guy who we were all really looking forward to seeing because we didn't see him this year. No, exactly. So uh, after that, as far as the top 100 rankings go, Tristan Cassis, who is there and we have seen Nolan Gorman uh, got off to a pretty good start as well, but he has missed now what the past couple of weeks and what are we hearing there? Same kind of unclear whether he, he like he, he has a some tenderness in his leg. You know, they're they're trying to be cautious. You know, like the, the Tigers just sent Torkelson home after he, he slid awkwardly into third because you don't want to exacerbate an injury and have it carry over into next year. So we don't <laughs> like there's there's no official word, especially on injuries, but like there's if I had to guess. The fact that he's been out this long, we haven't really heard anything, makes me wonder. But like they haven't removed him from the roster, and you know, and you, and you didn't even mention—I mean, because he never made it here in the first place—but Riley Green, who was number seven on the top 100, was supposed to be here also, and he got hurt like a concussion toward the end of the minor league season, um, in, in a collision, and so he never made it here either. So of the guys we originally thought we were going to have here, four what's that? Four of the top six prospects. Two of them have departed. One has never played a game, and one hasn't played in about two weeks. You know, the thing with Gorman is, you know, if they want to send him home, he just needs to drive down the street. True. So, you know, you know, he lives right there. So, you know, they could he could be resting and rehabbing at home, and then they could, you know, if they want him to get some more at bats, they can. You know, they they that's an easy decision to make because at first I was like, well, it's not like the Cardinals spring training facility is in Arizona, and they can, you know sort of let him work on backfields or things like that. But then I realized he lives right there. So uh, that may sort of lead to the lack of an official decision there. Yeah, we're coming up on the Fall Stars game and should have those rosters pretty soon. And unfortunately, yeah, a bunch of those big names will be out. But still, I mean, with the level of talent that is there, um, the, you know, the level of talent that you'll see on the field at the Fall Stars game uh, is probably rivaled only by the futures game, I would say. Yeah, and they'll have it'll be interesting because there there will be no shortage of guys. They're not going to have any trouble even with those guys who who we talked about all position players being hurt. They're going to have no problem finding guys who are ripping the cover off the ball in Arizona Fall League. It'll be interesting to see like the pitching staffs they can put together because one of the the three top 100 prospects who's here, Asa Lacey was just down here to get to make you know basically four two inning outings. So Asa Lacey's home that was planned. So we have two top 100 pitchers, and there are not and, and neither one of them has glittering stats. Um, that that's Bobby Miller of the Dodgers and Mackenzie Gore of the Padres, and there aren't that many guys having tremendous years on the mound. So it'll be. It'll be interesting to see who who pitches in the Fall Stars game. Let's talk about some more guys who are having 
strong seasons in the fall league at the plate. Um, we talked about JJ Bladé. Jim, you stole him from Jonathan. We, oh, did we, I? I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right. I, I'd, I'd spoken to him yesterday. I thought that was. Uh, it's all good. I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm I missed. To share. I, I missed. The, I can share I missed, JJ Bladé. I missed the sign there from the third base coach, and now now I'm going to get fined. I'm trying to get. Game. Trying to hold yeah, you. Kangaroo up court will get you, but it's all right. All right. So a, as your punishment, Jim, uh, we're going to make you talk about two more guys. That's fine. Uh, Only two. Come on. Only two. <laughs> and don't try to steal Jonathan, Jonathan's uh, Elijah Dunham either. I love uh, Elijah Dunham. I could t- I no, talk no. to him too. I could talk about him for a long time. I'm so. at a severe disadvantage because Jim is there and I haven't actually seen any Arizona, fo- like real Arizona folly action in person. So you, you got to watch he, he the live streams, bit of an edge. Jonathan. You got to watch the live streams. Come I didn't on. say I didn't, hadn't watched the live stream. Okay. I said I haven't seen any baseball in person. There you go. All right, so Jim, pick pick one of your uh, two guys here. Who do you want to talk about first? Well, I'll talk about Jose Tenya because I, th- I think he uh, he intrigued you, Jason. You sounded very intrigued. I am intrigued by Jose. By, by mm-hmm. Jose Tenya, who's uh, down here, one of about 8,000 sweet-swinging middle infielders in the Indian system. He's uh, you know he's only played nine games, but he's, hit, he's hitting 406. I, I, you know, I need to look. I, I wonder if the league of those holes in about 330. Cause it seems that way, but um, yeah, he, 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 he gets overshadowed a little bit in their system cause he's not a big name. He's not a big physical guy. He's, he's listed at 5'10", 160. I think he's gotten stronger. He might be more like 5'10", 175. And as we all know in baseball, if you're listed at 5'10", you're probably not 5'10". Um, but, but in any case, he, he has tremendous bat on ball skills. He's one of those guys who, who puts the bat on the ball so easily that he that he probably needs a little bit more patience. But during the pandemic downtime, um, when he was basically limited to instructional league, he used his time to get stronger, and and he's just a better player this year. You know, he was he was definitely a hit over power guy coming into the year, and he still is. But I think before when you're thinking, ah, oh, he might be a ten to twelve home run guy. Now he might be a fifteen to to twenty guy. He hit sixteen home runs in high A. Uh, you know, as a 20 year old, um, you know, kind of an average runner, but good instinct, you know, maybe a tick above average, but good instincts on the bases. His arm got stronger uh, during the layoff. Um, so now it, it's gone from average to solid. And, you know, with his quickness and his baseball IQ and he's got good hands, you know, I think coming into the year or before the pandemic, if you were projecting, you're like, ah, this guy might be a second baseman. But now that he's throwing better, you feel better about him staying at shortstop. Um, he's a, he's a real interesting guy. I, I think this guy is definitely going to hit and, and he's raised the rest of his game and, and he's, he's looked good down here too. So there's, uh, you know, the, the Indian system, I, I, I know I've said this a million times on this podcast. I, I really think it's an up and coming system that the vast majority of their best prospects are super young guys who have not, you know, 20, 21 years old who haven't necessarily climbed to the upper levels of the minors yet. But I think in a year or two we'll be talking about them as one of the better systems in baseball. And did you did you mention Jim? Did I miss this that he's the among the youngest players in the Arizona Fall League, third youngest? I did not mention that, but he but he is. He's he, I think he's he's twenty, right? I think he turned twenty in March. Um, but yeah, he's I, I think the youngest is what Marco Luciano. Yeah, um, that's correct. Who we talked about earlier, but yeah, he's. You know, he, he's very impressive. Like, and, 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 you know, I think he's a guy who the Indians were very confident would be able to handle this assignment. Cause like, like I said, I mean, this guy is one of the, the better, I, I think contact hitting prospects in, in all the minors. And it's not just like a, a guy who's just putting the ball in play anymore, but he, he just has really good bat to ball skills. He's, he's only struck out five times in 41 plate appearances down here. All right. Now, Jonathan, um, we mentioned Elijah Dunham. Uh, I think it was last, was it last week we were talking about a Yankees prospect in the fall league who's overshadowed by some bigger names in uh, the Yankees system, and that was Austin Wells. And now I think we're going to talk about a Yankees prospect that's even more or more overshadowed and, and kind of more buried uh, in that system. Yeah, without question. I mean, he he's on the top thirty. He's in number twenty four, um, and you know, it's a, it's an interesting story because he was a draft eligible sophomore in twenty nineteen 
uh, out of Indiana, and the the Pirates took him super late, fortieth round. He went back to Indiana, and then we had you know the the COVID shutdown. He hit three ninety and an ops over a thousand in the fifteen games he played for Indiana, but didn't get drafted in the top five rounds. Um, you know, I think had there been a normal draft, he was a guy who would have gone in, you know, round six to 10 somewhere and as a, as a college performer, but, uh, you know, he decides to sign with the Yankees as a undrafted free agent. And it makes sense. You know, he's 22 at that point. Um, if he goes back to Indiana for a senior year, then, you know, is he going to get more than $20,000? Probably not. So he goes out in his first full season, he has a good season, you know, so- solid approach at the plate. Uh, he's always had uh, good plate discipline, draws a ton of walks, power shows up a little bit, but nothing earth shattering. And, you know, across two levels of, of a ball, he finishes with an 825 OPS. And then he comes to the fall league and he just, he's been an on-base machine. You mentioned the lack, the lack of strikeouts. Um, he's struck out twice in 55 plate appearances and drawn 12 walks. Um, and that's led to a, like a ridiculous 395, 45, 683 line uh, so far. Um, and it, he has been, uh, you know, a, a really interesting guy who just, you know, he has good professional at-bats. Um, you know, Jim does the Yankees list, so I'm kind of stealing from his scouting report. But, you know, this is a, a short left-handed stroke with an advanced approach, and there's some power there. And he's a, an aggressive and smart base runner. He's still 28 bases during the regular season he's seven for seven in the fall league and he's not a burner he, he just kind of knows what he's doing uh you know left field type he's played both corners in, in the in the fall league but i i think you know he's a guy who's you know what 23 he turns 24 in the end of may but he'll go hit the upper levels and suddenly now he's not super old for his level or you know i think maybe the yankees have a little more than what they may have thought when when they drafted him yeah, you know, we or talked didn't about. Draft him. I didn't have time. Or to didn't get draft him. him, signed him. Sorry. Yeah, I, I didn't have time to get into all this in 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 the story, um, but we talked a little bit about the fact that you know he he was actually kind of heartbroken. He thought he had a chance to go in the top five rounds. I mean, he would have been a decent pick as a sophomore if he'd been signable. You know, he he lasted till the fortieth round because he just wasn't signable um, then, and so he he thought he had a pretty good chance to go in the top five rounds and found out like a day or two before the draft, his, his agent told him. I don't think this is going to happen. And he was crushed. But, you know, we talked about this a lot on the podcast last year. I was surprised more guys in his situation did not sign. Now, he was a little bit older. He would have come back at 23. But even the guys who were the 21-year-old juniors um, in 2020, you know, he, he, he got good advice from his agent. You know, he mentioned you know, he knew the minor leagues were shortening teams. He knew he was going to be 23. And his attitude was, you know, this kind of stinks. You know, I was at worst going to go around six or 10 and get a, a, a bonus in the low six figures. Now I can only get $20,000. But he looked at it like, I need to go get my career started. Um, you know, and I think I quote him as saying, basically, like, if you can play, you can play. And so he wanted to get out there and start playing because that's how you get to the big leagues. And, you know, I, I wonder, I mean, we saw this year was only a 20-round draft after a five-round draft the year before. I think there were still a number of guys who thought, you know, if we didn't have a pandemic, we would have been drafted in the first, you know, 10, 15, 20 rounds in 2020 who wound up not getting drafted this year. You know, guys, you know, thinking that they were going to go higher. And I, I kind of think he made a really wise decision. Look, you know, this isn't what I envisioned, but I need to get my career started. And he, and he went out and took advantage of it. I know that, uh, you know, shortly after that draft, we were tracking the non-drafted free agents who were signing with teams because it was such an unusual situation. Uh, do you do you guys know off the top of your heads, are there many or any other uh, of those players who are now on their, on team top 30 lists? That would take some digging. I don't Just think there's you. many because I know, you know, we have a massive um, – you know, uh, Google Doc, where we track, you know, we have all the top 30 prospects listed in there. And um, there are only a couple of non-drafted free agents on there. Like, I know I have one on Scott Manea on the Astros, who is not part of that, um, 
that deal. I can't remember his kill Emshoff on the Royals list. He might be the only one. Um, I'm, I'm looking back at our, our, our list from last year. I did a, a top 10 list of guys who had signed and, and Elijah Dunham was number three on that list. Right? I guess I did top 15. Elijah Dunham was, was number three on that list. Um, and none of the other guys are on top 30s as far as I know. So he might be the lone top 30 guy on there. I mean, you, you know what I'm trying to say. Lone 2020 on the top 30 list. Yeah. All right. Uh, and now, Jim, one last guy to talk about here in the Fall League, uh, someone that you really like, and another guy who is uh, pretty deep on his team's uh, top 30 list, and that is James Outman of the Dodgers. Yeah, you know, I do our Dodgers list. Anybody who listens to this podcast, you know, hears me rave about how, I mean, not only are the Dodgers just a machine at the big league level, but just I, I think they do a better job than any team in baseball at developing and maximizing the talent of position players. Um, they also do a really nice job with pitchers, too. The, the, their system just keeps producing player after player after player. And, you know, Altman's a guy who I got some good instructional league reports on last season, and I was told, hey, this guy could, could kind of take off, keep an eye on him. He's got a lot of tools. And, you know, it's you know, I, I think the Dodgers, because of the job they do developing players, are, are confident taking guys. And, and he's a guy who, if you were looking at, Statistical performance, he had 249 in three years of college at Sacramento State. You know, and that's, I mean, it's a good program, but we're not talking like he, he was in the SEC. Um, but they liked his tools. So they took him in the seventh round and, you know, he, you know, was, you know, had some success early in his career, but not, you know, not too much. He was up and down a little bit. You know, pandemic comes, doesn't get to play. On to this year, starts slow in high A and then, then eventually got better and got to double A. And, you know, I, I saw him, I guess it was Saturday night, like it was where he, when he really, started. I saw him hit a home run, but he also made three really nice defensive plays. I mean, he's plus run, plus arm, plus raw power. I'd probably go based on the, the good, really good look I got Saturday. I'd go plus center field too. I mean, he first batter of the game, hit a drive to, to deep center. You know, he made a nice, you know, running, leaping catch over his head. Um, he made a diving catch on, on a soft liner later in the game. And then the ninth inning, um, you know, in a one-run game, guy crushed the ball to the wall and left center and pinned him up against the wall, and he made a leaping catch. And it, it was interesting because I was, I was talking to him after the game and, and was just asking about what got him going because he he got off to slow start this year in high A. And it was interesting because he said almost the exact same thing Elijah Dunham said to me. Uh, Elijah Dunham was talking about when he got here, he in this, I think the second game he, he played, he struck out against Cray Finfrock of the Blue Jays and just – Felt like he Finfrock blew him away. Like he just was all messed up. And he was talking to Justin Foskey on his same team. They share a, a hitting instructor. And and they were talking and something clicked. And Dunham's like, like for him, he doesn't need to worry about the pitcher. He needs to slow down and go slow and not be too quick. And then he said it's really helped with his vision at the plate and he's taken off. And Alman said kind of the same thing when I spoke to him. He said that like when he struggled and then he he was making some adjustments, he, he his thing was to kind of slow things down and not be too quick. And he was much better at the plate rather than trying to catch up to a good fastball just to go at his speed. So I thought it was interesting. Um, I might've talked to those guys on the same day or back to back days. I can't remember. I had a double header on Saturday, but they, they kind of had the same thing click in their minds and they really felt like it unlocked him. But Altman, you know, both those guys are interesting. Neither was a, you know, a high pick, obviously Dunham wasn't drafted. Um, and, and I think they have a chance to, you know, at least be major league contributors, if not more. All right. And the, I guess, two hottest uh, players in the Arizona Fall League, at least last week in terms of a hitter and a pitcher, the AFL Players of the Week, both Cubs prospects, Caleb Killian and Nelson Velasquez. Jim had a chance to talk to both of them when we return. Jim will talk to the Arizona Fall League Hitter of the Week, Nelson Velasquez. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis with MLB Pipeline here with Nelson Velasquez, who, I don't know if you know it yet, but you're officially the AFL uh, Hitter of the Week. Uh, That's what I heard this morning when <laughs> I came here. Pretty hot week, uh, four home runs in, in six games. Well, did you play? I think you played five games, right? I don't think you played all six necessarily, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, I, I played the season this week. Okay, anyway, I, and I was fortunate. I think I saw Mesa play four times, and I think I literally saw you hit a home run every time uh, I came to a Mesa game. What's been working well for you out here? Have you, have you had a hot streak like this in the past? Yeah, yeah, I, I used been, um, as I say, doing the same thing I've been doing from the league on the season. And I just keep um, doing what I was doing. And it's something that is helping me right now and helping me to stay hard and improve my, my ability in the field. And it's something that I just keep doing. Yeah, you, I mean, you've been hitting the ball hard pretty much the whole time out here. And you really had a nice breakout season, the best season of your, of your pro career. How did you use your downtime? I mean, obviously there wasn't much baseball in 2020. What did you do during your, your, your downtime last year and, and how did that help you for this year? Now, over, over the quarantine in uh, 2020, I never stopped uh, practicing or doing my job. I practiced six days after a week, every week, for like a year. That was the quarantine. And it was something that really helped me, like doing my K work my outfield war with my trainer over there, my coaches. And I just bring what I do over there, I just bring it in here and something that keep helping me right now. I think um, Sam Dykstra with, uh, with our guys uh, talked to you a couple weeks ago and you, I think you mentioned you really focused on breaking balls. Like you had a, a pitching machine throwing a lot of breaking balls to try to help you identify them and hit them better. Did, did, did... Yeah, because in ni- uh, 2019, I don't. I have a pretty good year. was wasn't bad, but I was I was um, hitting the breaking ball very well. So when I in 2020 when I was there, I focused more on hitting the breaking ball from the machine, so I can like see the breaking ball, see where I can hit it, find my power spot, you know? And yeah, when I came in 2020 season, I was hitting both. I was hitting the fastball and the breaking ball. So I think the matching helped me a lot um, to get that pitch where I want to hit. Did you have any goals coming into this year? Were you hoping to get to double A? I know you started high A and you, and you hit well there and then you got to double A and, and hit well there. I mean, did you have any particular goals that you were hoping to do this year? Mm. Like this year from for 2021, yeah. 2021, <clears throat> yeah. I know, like, I was going to start on uh, high A, and when I when I started, I used to put in my mind that I have to do my job, be good, play the game, so I can be good for be ready from the, when they call me to double yeah. A or no matter where they want to send me. So I just focus on play good, be good, be healthy, because if you're not healthy. So yeah, that's what I focus now and trying to hit the ball. Because when you hit the ball, good thing can happen, you know? So that's what I focus on here. How excited were you to come out here? I mean, it must be nice. I mean, you had a really nice year in the minor leagues and then you find out you get to come here and continue and you've built on it. You've made even more progress. How? And as I say, use, I've been just doing the same I've been doing from the quarantine. Right. And why, why I have to change something that is helping me right now? No, no, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah so I just keep doing the same. Were you, were you happy to get the chance to come play out here and, and get to play some more and, and show more what you can do? Yeah, I'm very happy. I'm very happy with, with everything right now and everything I've been doing. And I feel very comfortable. You know, you're in the Cubs system. You know, when you signed with the Cubs, was it 2017 draft? Yeah, 2017. Okay, so they're just coming off a World Series. The team's loaded. It's got all these position guys. It's a different team now. A lot of those guys have been traded or, or gone or whatever. Is it, you know, you're getting close to the big leagues now. Is that kind of in the back of your mind that, hey, in 2022, at some point, if I keep going like this, I might, might get the chance to play in Chicago next year? Yeah, I'm pretty... Pretty sure I can be there in 2022, playing with the Chicago, Chicago team over there, and yeah, it's something that I hope I hope I can be there. But at the same time, right now, as I say, I'm just fucking um, play the game 
and doing good. If you if you do good, um, I'm pretty pretty sure you can be there. Yeah. In the show. Well, you're you're taking care of business. It's been fun to watch. Thanks, Nelson. Really Thank appreciate you. it. All right, our thanks to Nelson Velasquez of the Cubs for joining us here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim, my only question for you, and this is this is uh, you know going to be a little unusual since this uh -oh. is an audio podcast, but in the video, I saw the video interview with him, and uh, Nelson Velasquez was wearing an exquisite Oppo Taco T-shirt. I want to know if you got Oppo Taco T-shirts for the entire Pipeline crew. I should have. Yeah, I like that too. He also, I like he, he's got his hair dyed as well, but I, th I thought the Oppo Taco t-shirt was very cool. I should have asked him where I could have gotten one. You know, maybe he literally would have given me the shirt off his back. I don't know. But um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I was impressed with the Oppo Taco t-shirt. And you know, talking to him, I, I, the thing that stood out the most was you know, he's always been a guy who's had some raw power and strength and and, and some some interesting tools and, and struggled to make consistent contact. And he he really had a nice year this year. You know, got better when he went from high A to double A. He's he's been great out here. He was another one in that crazy fifteen fifteen game. <laughs> he only went one for six with three strikeouts. He somehow didn't score or drive in a run, and they still scored fifteen runs in that that, that crazy game. But talking to him, I'll give him credit. Like. I think he basically has gotten better through sheer hard work. You know, he talked about like during the quarantine, he wasn't at the alternate site. He came back from instructional league, but he was in Puerto Rico from, from, for most of the COVID year. And he just worked six days a week. He knew that one of his biggest weaknesses was hitting breaking balls, identifying them, figuring out how to hit them. And he basically spent hours in the cage against pitching machines, throwing him breaking balls so he could identify spin better so he could learn how to contact it. Um, I don't think I put this in the story that's going to run on our site, but you know I, I don't have pitch breakdowns. But if you're, you know he's a right-handed hitter, you're looking at right-handed pitchers who are theoretically throwing a lot more breaking balls than lefties are. And he had something like three homers and 246 plate appearances against right-handers in 2019. And this year he had 14 and 346, I think, plate appearances. So, um, and I've seen him hit some breaking balls out here. So I, I it was it was. It was interesting talking to him like that, you know, I mean, the pandemic downtime was hard on, on a lot of players, but he used it as an opportunity to get better and, and knew what one of his biggest weaknesses was and just spent hours trying to, you know, improve in that aspect of the game. All right. We talked to one Cubs prospect who was awarded by the Arizona Fall League, and now we're going to talk to another. When we come back, we'll talk to the AFL Pitcher of the Week, Caleb Killian. That's up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis here, MLB Pipeline with Caleb Killian with the Cubs. I still find myself wanting to say Giants, uh, but uh, but I, I've got it down. You're with the Cubs, our uh, Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Week for third week of the season. If I remember correctly, I think three innings, one hit, six strikeouts. Now, Caleb, uh, I have to ask, your first outing down here didn't go quite so well. I think you gave up seven runs and didn't get anybody out. Second one was better, but got knocked around a little bit. And then third one I saw the other day, and you were just locked in, was... What's been the difference from one outing to the next? Thanks it's, for reminding me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt. Um, I just had a, I don't know. My uh, season got cut short a little bit. I missed the last three weeks or so. So just trying to get my arm back in shape. I've been ramping up for this fall league. I don't know what. My below was kind of down that first game. I didn't know where the ball was going. Um, just kind of struggled with command and stuff. So I've been working on trying to get better, improve each week. And thankfully I showed up last week. And <laughs> yeah, you were <laughs> sharp when I said well, I mean, command, I mean, obviously that's one of your fortes. You led the minors in straight-out-to-walk ratio. And now I know, I guess it was toward the end of August, I mean, you were in double-A, and I think the team had kind of a COVID outbreak, right? And they yeah. had guys put on the IL, and then other guys come in. I think Ryan Jensen, who's your teammate, came up to double-A after that, to like, like as a, as a fill-in. So how long were you shut down for, and when did you get to start pitching again? Because it's, it's, it's always tough in a normal year to come here after a little bit of a layoff and I mean you had COVID on top of it. Yeah I was shut down for just two weeks but then as a pitcher you got to re-ramp up again so I've just been throwing each day ever since. The did you go to an, no throwing at all. Did you go to instructional league at all or did Yeah I okay. went straight to Arizona after that and then fall league from there. I got you got you so 
I mean, besides you know getting your arm back in shape, and now that you're getting ramped up, what are you trying to work on specifically down here? What, what are your what are your goals in terms of is it specific pitches or mm-hmm. just getting some more innings in? Yeah, just to get more innings. Uh, well, not just to get more innings, but I'm also working on two new pitch grips. Um, starting to get more comfortable with those as well. Uh, they're kind of foreign to me at first, the first outing, but they start to get more comfortable. I think they're making my pitches better. Um, and then just playing ball. Well, what pitch grip specifically are you working on? Uh, curveball and a changeup. Okay, and what kind of grip are you using? Is it like a spike curveball or is it yeah, traditional? Yeah, spiking now. It used to be just a regular curveball, but this one seems to be a little sharper, a little faster too. And what are you doing with the changeup, changeup grip? The changeup, uh, <laughs> I'm trying a new grip trying to get a better changeup going. It was pretty average this season, so. I mean, what uh, kind of grip specifically? It's is kind it? of like a circle change Okay. Now. Yep, so just trying to get that perfected. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of the tricky thing about the Fall League, too, is that, like, if some guys were down here, you know, just getting more playing time in, and guys, like, you're kind of experimenting, too, you know, yeah. while you're down here, you know, also. <laughs> so what was, I mean, this season like? So, I mean, obviously nobody had normal 2020. You know, I, I do our Giants prospects list as well as our Cubs prospects mm-hmm. list. So the Giants... Yeah, I heard a lot of good reports about you in, in Instruction League last year. They were really excited, you know, about what you might come out and do this year. And obviously, great year. You lead the minors in strikeout-to-walk ratio. You get to double-A, pitch really well. But in the middle of the season, you get traded. You know, traded, not just traded, traded for Chris Bryant. What what was that like? Were, did you have any inkling at all? I didn't know it was going to happen, though. I had no idea. I was about to go throw a bullpen, but I got a call, and I was traded in, the, in Tennessee the next day. It was overwhelming <laughs> at first, but it's a good opportunity. You know? Happy to be here. Well, what's it feel like? I mean, get traded for Chris Bryant, like that's kind of a nice honor in a way. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Me and Canario. Yeah, exactly. And he came over and I think was hitting home runs right away, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. you guys were both uh, yeah, good. playing well. I mean, is it, I mean, I don't know if it's different, but like you go from one organization that won 107 games this year and obviously very good team, mm-hmm. another organization that's totally rebuilding, you know, probably more opportunity in Chicago. Do you, do you let that enter into your thinking at all, or do you just feel like, hey, I'm going to go out and pitch and things will take care of themselves? Or in the back of your mind, you're like, hey, it might be a little easier to get that or a little quicker to get that opportunity in Chicago. No, than I'm just trying to do my job, which is just hit the mitt. Yeah. I'll, I'll let all that figure itself out. And you had, I mean, I know at Texas Tech there were some inconsistencies at times. Mm-hmm. But in, in pro ball, you just pounded the zone. I mean, is there any particular reason for that? Um, nope. I don't, <laughs> I don't know of. I'm just trying to throw. I don't, I'm just getting better command, uh, maturing as a pitcher, I guess. Yeah. What have you thought of the competition down here? I mean, you, you, I know you were in Double A for a little bit. Does it? How does it compare to say Double A competition? Um, these guys came out ready to swing it. These hitters are hitting really well. We have so <laughs> many high-scoring games. It's 15 to 15 today. It's, it's like we're in the teens every single game. So these hitters are—they're pretty good out here. Seems like the ball's carrying pretty well out here too. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. guys get the ball up and it's gone. But yeah, it was uh, kind of a crazy one today. Well, Caleb, uh, good luck uh, going forward. Uh, like I said, I, I only saw in person the one outing, the, the three mm-hmm. shutout innings, and, and it was impressive that day. So more of that, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in Chicago soon. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Thanks to Caleb Killian for joining us and uh, and putting up with Jim Callis. Nobody likes to talk to Jim. We know that. Uh, Jim, you have been doing this uh, Cubs top 30 prospect list for quite a while now, and for years now, the overarching theme uh, to the Cubs' top 30 prospects list in their farm system has been what? Hitters, hitters, hitters. Have not developed a pitching prospect since when? Well, uh, the, the best, since, since Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein came in, I think that was after the 2011 season, the best pitching prospect they've developed the most homegrown innings they've gotten out of anybody in Chicago is Adbert Alzale, who has won, I think seven games and he's pitched 159 innings in the big leagues. Second on that list, I think still might be Dwayne Underwood who's no longer with the organization. Do either of you have one care to guess how many innings Dwayne Underwood pitched for the Cubs? Six. Well, it's more than that. So, but uh, seventeen. Yeah. Now he pitched thirty-six innings. So that is the second most homegrown innings, I believe, the Cubs have gotten out of their pitchers in the ten years since they they changed regimes. So, yes, they they've had trouble developing pitching. And I guess you know Caleb Gillian wouldn't technically count as uh, homegrown. Um, you know, you can you can you know certainly make an argument that if uh, you know. 
he makes be, it to the big leagues. Partially homegrown, but yeah, but he wouldn't be purely homegrown. But he would be partially homegrown. Yes, right, right. Um, but yeah, do you do you see a change? Uh, do you see a wave of pitching potentially coming from the Cubs farm system, or are they still more or less in that same boat? Well, it's a process because coming into the year, they had one pitcher on the top 100 prospects list, and that was Braylon Marquez, and he didn't throw a pitch this year. And I think the pitcher they thought was going to make the biggest strides forward in the system was Cole Franklin, and he didn't throw a pitch this year. I mean, you know, they did draft Jordan Wicks. DJ Hurst had a nice breakout year, traded for Caleb Killian. Ryan Jensen um, is down here. Um, in the fall league as well. He, he might've been in second place for pitcher of the week. Um, you know, he's a former first round pick. I don't know if he's starter or reliever in the long run, but they, they have some arms, but they, they still have a ways to go. It's not like they have, you know, three guys in the upper levels of the minors ready to step into the rotation in short order. Okay. So we talked entirely here about the Arizona fall league, but there are some other winter leagues that are now underway. Um, the Dominican winter league, interestingly, uh, this year you can watch every Dominican winter league game on MLB.tv. Um, that league is pretty packed with, uh, with prospects. There are quite a few there. The highest ranked prospect there is uh, Mets shortstop prospect, Ronnie Mauricio. Uh, he's one of two top 100 prospects who are playing uh, winter ball right now. Uh, the other being Ryan Rollison. And uh, I, I was kind of curious, guys. Uh, Rollison, a top 100 prospect. Uh, I think we have what Ethan Small, um, the Brewers' number five prospect, another pitcher. Um, both pitching in the winter leagues. I was kind of curious, how does that come about? How does a pitching prospect end up uh, pitching in the Dominican uh, as opposed to the Arizona Fall League? Well, I mean, sometimes it's just a, a question of what they, you know, an organization wants for for an individual pitcher or, you know, you know, they have a certain amount of set roles for guys, and I, you know, like for the Rockies, I'm not looking at what pitchers they sent, but they may have a, like a bunch of relief arms who are up for, uh, you know, 40 man roster spots uh, that they wanted to get a look at. Um, while Rollison, they really just wanted to get some some more work in. He, he had his appendix taken out, so he missed a bunch of time. Kind of had a weird year um, in AAA. Um, but he's knocking on the door. So maybe, maybe they wanted him to go down and make some starts in a super competitive, uh, you know, environment, uh, as opposed to the folly, which is much more low key than, you know, than the winter leagues are where winning is, is tantamount. Um, so, you know, I'm just guessing, you know, right now, I don't really know why, why they decided to do that, but maybe some combination of, personnel and and wanting you know to see certain things from from Rollison in a different kind of setting and both those guys too Rollison and Small have pitched in AAA um you know they're they're on the verge of making their major league debuts I think you could probably pitch more innings in the Dominican Winter League you know it's kind of a double-edged sword you have to perform because if you don't perform you know they're they're out there to win so you won't play but a lot of you know like we were saying before a lot of the Arizona Fall League is scripted even if you come here to start, you might pitch. It's generally a six-man rotation, so you're making one start a week, and they've got to get work in for the relievers. So you're generally going to pitch three innings your first couple starts, and then four, and then maybe five. Both those guys, I think, pitched into the fifth inning in their first start. So my guess is maybe there's a little more leeway. Like if you're doing well, you can pitch longer. It's more I mean, the games are competitive here, but, you know, it's more of a, hey, we're trying to win situation than we're trying to, you know, development is paramount situation. So I think that might have played into it, too. Some of the other prospects uh, in the Dominican Winter League that you can watch on MLB.tv include Christopher Morell, uh, the Chicago Cubs, Janer Diaz of the Astros, Eddie Leonard uh, of the Dodgers, Jalen Ortiz of the Phillies. Uh, 
Ronnie Mauricio mentioned, uh, number 53 overall among MLB's top 100 prospects. Uh, this was kind of an exciting assignment, I think, uh, playing for Lise. Uh, his very first at bat uh, in the Dominican Winter League this year, he hit a monstrous home run. And uh, Jim, I know that this this is something that you are always nagging me about, are uh, the player's uh, height and weight as they're listed on the site. And here's this <laughs> would appear to me to be an all-timer. Um, as I, I was just looking at his listed weight, and that's why I laughed out loud. But go ahead. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> listed at six three at one sixty six, and uh, if he's six three, one sixty six, uh, I don't know. I'm 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 six three one sixty six. I was, uh, I was very curious how you're going to finish. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Well, I mean, as we we talk about and. You give me a hard time about like O'Neill Cruz continuing to grow when he was a youngster. He was but, growing um, like an inch a week. Yeah, but it was every time I talked to him, he was taller. Tristan Costas is a guy who I think continues to grow right now for the for the Red Sox. He's probably about six eight. I mean, we, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it seems like he, he grows an inch taller and, and and about adds about ten pounds every time somebody writes a big feature on him. But um, a lot of these guys they get their heights and weights recorded when they sign at age sixteen internationally. And then some teams are better than others about updating them. And I will go out on a limb and, and agree with you and say that the 166 has not been updated. I'm, I'm going to believe that 166 is a four-year-old weight. Um, but yes, if you if you if you look at the video, and I think we I, we had a tweet of him hitting a home run, I think, or, or, or yeah. something the other day. He, he he's not fat, but he's not 166 pounds. You would. He's he's not long and lanky by by any means. He's he's pretty physical. It looks like he's certainly closer to two hundred than he is one sixty six, right? I mean, I'd go probably six three two ten if I had to guess. I, I'm not I'm, I'm not great at that, but like I'd even take the over on two hundred. Are you better at estimating people's weights or crowd sizes, Jim? Probably crowd sizes. I'll say crowd sizes. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny because, you know, one of the biggest things that comes up with Ronnie Mauricio is, well, is he, is he really going to be able to play shortstop? And I think most people think no. Um, and, and the, the, the change in weight would, would reflect that. I mean, he is a, a large human and, you know, slowed him down. And I think a move to third would probably be, would be a good look for him. All right. So again, uh, make sure to keep your eye out on uh, MLB.tv. You can go there and anytime there are games going on in the Dominican Winter League, if you go to MLB.tv, those games will be listed and you can watch them live right there. All right. Let's get to the mailbag. We have several questions. We'll see how many we can get through here. Uh, We'll start with our leadoff hitter. This guy is a, an on-base machine for us. Uh, <laughs> Elijah Dunham. Elysio. What's Elijah that? Dunham is asking us a question? <laughs> no, well, no, not yet, but Damn. maybe next week. But, yeah, this Stephen D'Elysio is our Elijah Dunham. Uh, he, he asks uh, a question nearly every week. Well, he probably asks one every week, and, and it gets either here or in the inbox on the, site, on the website uh, or both uh, nearly every week. He asks... Has anyone's stock improved enough in the AFL to put in the top 100 prospects next year? Well, I mean, Jim may have a more informed opinion because he's actually seen guys. Uh, it's still a little bit early. I want to see how guys finish up. There's one guy who kind of jumps out to me as a possibility, and this is kind of a combination of where they are on a top 30 and what we thought of them and what they've done. And that's Ezekiel Duran of the Rangers, um, just because you know he showed good power speed combination during the year. Uh, you know, needed to work on his approach, uh, and has hit well in the fall league. Granted, he's only played ten games, but he has shown uh, uh, you know a lot of very good things with the bat. Um, so he's the one guy of those who have sort of performed well in the fall league who I could see sort of making the jump. I don't know, Jim, if you had anybody else that you would at least circle with a could-be kind of response. 
Yeah, I will. I will. I will. I will see your Ezekiel and call with another Ezekiel. We'll go double Ezekiel with this answer. I saw Ezekiel. I haven't seen Salt River play a lot, but I saw Ezekiel Tovar. He he was actually the guy who hit the ball to pin James Outman to the wall in the ninth inning when he came in in, in relief of uh, David Hamilton of the Brewers. But the one start I got to see with Ezekiel Tovar, he hit a three-run homer. He stole a base. He made a great play in the hole. Then you're thinking, okay, this guy's definitely shortstop. And he's super young. Um, he's got to be – I don't have the list in front of me. One of the probably five youngest players in the fall league. Um, you know, got up to high eight at the end of the, this season. I think he just turned 20 in September, or maybe it was 21 in September. But um, he was a guy who, who really interested me. So, like, he, he might be one. I wouldn't put this guy in, in the top 100 because I still want to see more out of his bat. But scouts are talking about just kind of the freakish athleticism of Joey Weimer, Brewers outfielder. He's only played nine games, but he's, he's having a great fall league too. And he's, he's a big physical guy who can run and throw and has a lot of raw power. Um, you know, I need to see more out of him, but I, would, I, I like your Duran pick, and I think Tovar would be a candidate for that as well. Ezekiel Tovar, uh, Jim, would be the second youngest player. In the oh, well, there you go. Nicely done. Okay. Uh, Spencer O'Gara at Spencer underscore O'Gara on Twitter says, assuming next season we see a lot of young pitchers make their debuts, Rodriguez, Green, fingers crossed, Kirby, etc. What names are poised to replace them as the next wave of top pitching prospects? You know, that's a good question because we've talked about this a number of times in recent years, how it seems like, and we, we have not done this purposefully. We, we know it's easier to, to have confidence in hitters and pitchers because of attrition, but the top of our top 100 prospects list is dominated by hitters. And I don't see a, a, a like a next wave, like if like a bunch of those pitchers are guys who are going to graduate next year. You know, Jack Leiter would be an obvious choice. He was the number two pick in this year's draft. But I think there's there, – there, there, I don't see like a younger wave of pitching really coming, to be honest with you. I, I think it feels like there's a bit of a pitching shortage. Yeah, I mean, looking over like the 2021 draft, I mean, I think there are, you know, some of the younger guys, could they jump onto the top 100? Sure, you know, could – Andrew Painter come out and pitch really well for the Phillies. Um, maybe, you know, could Mick Abel make a big jump forward in, you know, his second full season? And he didn't, you know, pitch a ton, um, possibly. You know, they've gone back to back with high school arms. So those are, you know, sort of the two I was kind of thinking of when when I saw the question, but I don't I, I mean, I agree. I think when some of those guys graduate, there's a little bit of, you know, a, 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 of a drop off and we're going to have to kind of wait and see, um, you know, what happens. Uh, you know, you mentioned George Kirby, the, the Mariners have done a good job of drafting pitching early on. So they, they have some, maybe a guy like Brandon Williamson makes a big step forward. Um, Matt Brash. He made it up to the big leagues. I mean, we're not talking a twenty-year-old, but you know, they have some some depth there. And if they continue to take steps forward like they did this year, then maybe we're talking about those guys a little bit more. But there are not a lot of guys waiting in the wings. I agree with you. Okay, well, let's uh, answer one more question here. This comes from Generally Manage at Generally Manage on Twitter, asks, biggest AFL surprise likely completely out of nowhere? Well, just based on performance, I mean, I guess I would go with Nathan Eaton of uh, Surprise. He's a corner infielder. He's having a great fall league. I don't, you know, he's not a top 30 prospect, but just if you're looking at guys who've kind of completely come out of nowhere and have, have been having a good fall league, um He'd probably be the name for me. I mean, he's hitting 439 uh, right now uh, in the fall league. You know, Spencer Horwitz, who's, who's a Toronto Blue Jays first baseman with Mesa, kind of in that same boat as two guys who aren't really top 30 prospects but are just crushing the ball down here. 
I'll throw a pitcher out there and like I don't I don't know what to make of him, um, but Coleman Crow of the Angels um has has been really good from a statistical standpoint. Uh, you know, he's been in three games, one one start, eight innings, just giving up the one run and he's struck out twelve and only walked two. And he's 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 kind of interesting because the Angels took him in the 28th round in 2019 and went over well over slot and signed him for, uh, you know, over $315,000 and, uh, threw well in low a, um, so he's, you know, he's young and he's got four pitches really. If you count, you know, two and four seamer slider is his best pitch and he's got decent change up. So he's sort of intriguing, uh, uh, on a guy that I honestly, you know, if if I if I didn't do the uh, Angels overview, I wouldn't really know anything uh, about him. But he, you know, he's only twenty. He turns twenty-one at the end of of this calendar year. Um, kind of undersized right-hander. Maybe he ends up in you know in a bullpen. But uh, you know, considering the the jump from low A to the fall league. And how he's performed, maybe there's a little more there than uh, than was expected, even by the by the Angels. All right, thanks to everybody for your questions, and thanks to Cubs prospects Nelson Velasquez and Caleb Killian for joining us on today's show. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week.